rolling? We are indeed. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Okay, so I'll explain a little bit, but it's, uh, or you explain about how it's being the 50th episode. Okay. You can come forward a little bit too if you want. Cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's episode 50. It's so weird that it's finally here. I know. I feel like it's been so, I mean, it's been over a year of me doing the podcast, but obviously took some time off for COVID and some other just like breaks and stuff. So it's it's just so weird that it's been 50 episodes. So yeah. I'm finally doing my story. Mm-hmm. So I think this started out because a while ago I did my episode. My name's Jackson. Um, I think most people are, you should just know that I have an episode on here. Indeed. And Do you uh, want to say which one or leave it ambiguous? If you know, then you know. <laughs> if fine. you know, you know. Yeah. Um, and a couple weeks after the episode, I I went to Casey and I was like, I think you should do an episode. Because I feel like most people that, that listen to this stuff like realize that you have your own stuff to talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought it was a good idea, but um, finally it's coming to reality, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm glad that it could be for the 50th episode. So I'm excited, I'm excited too, because I know you're just, you're not going to shy away from the the hard-hitting questions and it just doesn't you know you're gonna ask what people want to know like what other people are curious about too yeah i think it's gonna be a big um it's gonna be like mind-boggling for the people listening because they don't realize <laughs> that you have so much stuff to talk about <laughs> but they should expect it because you're the one that started the podcast <laughs> of course like the obviously the fucked up girl has to start the fucked up podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. like it's only makes sense exactly yeah there's so much all right you want to jump in then okay let's start hit me so this is how you start off every podcast. So I want you to explain how your childhood was. Okay. Look at you, all observant. I okay. I, um, I think my first instinct is always to be like, I had a great childhood. I think that's a lot of people's instincts. It's everyone's. You, yeah, like you just want to, you want to think of it fondly and you kind of want to like protect the people around you. Yeah, but definitely. But it's taken time and therapy, lots of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, like my childhood, like I just felt like shit for a lot of my childhood, honestly. Um, I, I'm the oldest of two younger siblings, you know Mm -hmm. that. Um, but I always kind of felt like a, there was a lot of pressure on me, not necessarily placed by my parents, sometimes placed by my parents. My dad was always like, if you go to college or like, if you get a scholarship to college, I'll buy you whatever car you want. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to go to UCLA when I was like a uh a kindergartner literally because that's where both my parents went like i actually didn't know that i didn't know they both went there yeah they both went there and so it was just like just i knew about college from such a young age and like everything to me was like get to college get to college get to college and you have to be perfect to get there yeah so not only was i like super hard on myself like academically literally from like first grade um but i just i was stubborn I was how I am now, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just, I'm more outspoken. I was more willing to like go back and forth with my parents. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of made our relationship a little bit tough sometimes. And my dad is um, a doctor. So especially like for a lot of my childhood, he was working like really, really long hours and wouldn't come home until really late at night. And so I didn't really have much of a relationship with him when I was really young, just because I didn't see him as often. Like we did, um, we were part of this like dad daughter group that was called Indian princesses, which is a really fucked up name also too. But, uh, that was the name of the group. And we had to drop out after a few months because my dad just like couldn't make it. Yeah. Um, I know a bunch of people have been that. Yeah. And I know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know so many people from it, but, uh, so we had to drop out of that and, You know, he would come home at night and it was really late and he'd have a long day at work. And then there was me to just be like, but dad, what about this? Like, you know, just being a kid. Um, And so I think sometimes he didn't have as much patience with me as I probably like, you know, as he probably should have. And that kind of caused a lot of tension between us. And we were very, we're very similar personalities and Mm -hmm. we kind of butt heads a lot because of that. Um. So when I was younger, I think he would definitely kind of like, I don't know, channel some of his frustration and stuff towards me when I probably didn't deserve it. And I was, you know, too young yeah. to really be responsible for those things. But like, I don't know. What's, he just, yeah. What's your first like 
memory of something happening within the family that wasn't like right if you mm. see what I mean yeah like, everyone has that one memory that is or not everyone but usually people and everyone struggles like has something that they remember yeah like, early back that was kind of messed up um that they didn't know about the time so I'm wondering what that is for you I mean I remember uh I used to be so afraid of my dad's footsteps like that was something so my dad never spanked us my mom spanked us Mm -hmm. but my dad never did um but he just used like fear and intimidation and i was the one taking like the blunt you know the force of that for the most part um because i would try to kind of like shield my siblings from it so i i have this one memory of one time like getting in a fight with my parents i was probably like in third or fourth grade maybe and i ran back to my room and i slammed the door but i didn't mean to like you know when you have those moments and i i just had that moment where it just like my heart just like dropped into my stomach and i was like oh fuck i'm screwed yeah i'm so screwed and i just ran and i just like covered my i jumped on my bed and like covered my head with my pillow and i could just hear my dad's footsteps come like coming to my door and i was just and you know he would like get really up in my face and like yell and um just like just some things that you know he shouldn't have done and he's apologized to me like over the years and we've done like some family therapy sessions and stuff but i just i didn't feel like i was treated very fairly as a kid um Mm -hmm. but obviously i also know that you know as a kid, you see things differently than your parents see them. We both know that now that we've both nannied yeah, too. Yeah, definitely. Like we just know that there's a different perspective there, but um, things are just a lot, you know, tougher to understand and process when you're a kid. And there'd be things like he would he would like cuss at me and like, you know, do this thing where he would like if he was mad or whatever, did something and was trying to get you to move somewhere, he'd like pick you up by the top of your ear. Oh. Like just things like that where it was like in retrospect you can look back at that and he can acknowledge that like that was fucked up but you know for me as a kid it was just like i don't know just a lot of like fear kind of which you know and he never it's not like he ever like hit me or anything like that ever but it was just when you're a kid you like you just that fear is just not something that you can shake easily so um that's that's been tough like there are even times like nowadays where you know he'll yell at the dog or something and i'll have like almost a full-blown panic attack because i just kind of get get those memories yeah i just kind of get those flashbacks and i'm like sort of taken back to that so um how was how was playing the um the oldest sibling role that was during this time yeah that was a fun one i I had, you know, when I was younger, my sister and I are only like a year and a half apart. We're only one mm-hmm. grade apart. And so we've gone through the stages of our lives where we hated each other, where we were best friends, then we hated each other again. And you just kind of go through that. Um, but I definitely tried to shield them from a lot of things that um, I just didn't want them to sort of see. And so it's hard because when we do kind of talk about our childhoods and reflect on them, they have a very different experience than me yeah Yeah. and so for a while I felt like really kind of invalidated in that because I was like well if they didn't see that then like it must just be me being dramatic and that was kind of my label in the family too it was like the dramatic one Mm -hmm. um so that made it really hard for me to feel like anything that I was feeling was valid and you know legitimate um but like especially through middle school my parents fought a lot when I was younger and I just I remember that but um, obviously my siblings were younger, so they didn't notice or absorb as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, you know, in middle school, they would just fight all the time over just stupid shit. And uh, they would each kind of vent to me separately. And so I kind of became the like weird therapist middleman as like a 13 year old. Yeah, um, that can be super hard. Yeah, sure. and it's just like you don't want to hear either of your parents talk shit about the other ones and yeah. the other one. And they they weren't like trying to, but it would just kind of happen sometimes. And so I felt like I was in a really tough position and um, I would kind of try to make sure my siblings like didn't hear them fighting as much or whatever it was. And um, 
like I remember one time where my parents were got into this like huge huge like blow up fight my mom was like crying and she was accusing my dad of like cheating on her from like reading these you know texts uh, yeah like 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 he wouldn't give her his phone Mm. to look through or something and so she was like hysterical and he was like you're being crazy and just back and forth he didn't cheat on her but it was like i will never forget you know that Mm. night and just like hearing all that stuff and I remember I found a letter that my mom wrote to me that was like, Dear Casey, like, I'm sorry that we had to get divorced and da-da-da-da-da. Wow. And Did you find that or was that given to you? I found it. That's Yeah, I found rough. it in her drawer. And um, and I found, a, I found an old text message. I was actually in this room with my friends. There used to be a computer in here. And uh, I was looking at through like the photos on the computer and there was like a screenshot of my dad texting my aunt, his sister saying like, you know, my mom's name is Chris saying like, uh, like, I can't be with Chris anymore. Da, da, da. So I was just like being me. I was like a little detective. I wasn't mm-hmm. even trying to necessarily, but sometimes I would just stumble on things. Yeah. So I just knew way too much. Um, and I definitely tried to shield my siblings from that. So I remember the day that they sat us down and they were like, we love you all very much. You know, this is none of your fault, but the common we're the usual spiel, right? Um, But your mom and I have decided to split up. Exactly. We've decided to split up and then, you know, go into the logistics. Dad's going to move out and he's going to move into his own place and you'll go there for weekends or switch every week, whatever. Right. And I remember... My brother crying, mm-hmm. but not fully understanding what was happening. My sister like being hysteric, like hysterically crying, yeah. and then just me there, completely stoic, stone faced. Well, you don't know how to react. Just to. nothing. Yeah. I was just like numb. I was just like, because a I saw it coming more than they did, um, and b I was just, I always felt like I needed to play that role of like the tough older sister, and so it was like if I, if it was okay with me and if I was fine then they could look at me and be like, okay, it's going to be okay. So, and then I remember just going, I went with my friends to Santa Cruz like later that day. And I just remember just, we got to the beach and I just started sobbing. Yeah. But I like couldn't do it in front of my family. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to see it. When did they get, how did that get better? So, (laughs) it's kind of funny. So basically we had a trip that had been planned for, um, Europe. It was like this big trip, you know, we were all so excited for it. And they said that they were splitting up a few months before. And I always get this timeline wrong, but, um, and my mom's going to come back later and be like, it was only this many months, Mm -hmm. but, uh, they had split up before, but we had this huge Europe trip planned and, and my grandpa was coming on my, you know, it's my dad's dad. Um, so they were like, look, we're all just, we're going to do it as family. We're all going to go on this trip together. So we all went on that trip and my parents stayed in the same bedroom, even though they'd been, you know, like living separately, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember like thinking the whole time, I'm like, they're definitely hooking up. <laughs> <laughs> like me as an eighth grader, I'm like, they're getting it on for sure. Like yeah. maybe they're going to get back together. But also, of course, that's like what your little, you know, younger optimistic brain of like, my family's going to stay together wants to think. So I also knew that. And I was also like, don't get your hopes up, Casey, like be, yeah. re- be realistic um and then we came back and i don't even know how many months they were separated maybe six months something Mm -hmm. like that um and then they started kind of like talking again and then suddenly my dad was over at the house more and then they were going to couples counseling and then this and this and this and then suddenly they were back together and i was like what the fuck just (laughs) happened like it just felt like a weird like fever dream you know and in some way, obviously it was great. Like my family's, I love them so much and it's great to all like be together. And I'm so happy that it worked out the way it did, but it was also really weird because none of us ever really got the chance to like process that or, you know, it was just like, well, they're back together. So you should be fine. But I was like, but that was really hard. Like Mm -hmm. that whack ass period of time where they weren't, you know? And like, and before that, when they're fighting, like just and even to this day, I definitely get very nervous whenever they fight. Yeah, like for there's sure. that. Same. Yeah, there's that part of me that like as soon as I hear them fighting, I'm like, oh, here we go. This yeah. is when they're gonna end it. 
I feel like that's just something like from your childhood that when it gets brought up, you get those same feelings. Mm-hmm. Not even having to do with like my parents fighting or anything, but when there's confrontation with certain people in my family, I get those same like emotions and it's awful. Even if it's not nearly as bad, it just brings up the memories, which makes me like turn into a complete different person. Exactly. It's like, it's not even rational, but you can't like change that feeling. It's just yeah. like instinctual at that point. So how old were you when, the, uh, when they, when you went on the trip? I want to say it was either summer before eighth grade or summer going into freshman year. Okay. It was one of those. So I, by that point, I was probably 14 or 15. Yeah. When did you, so I don't even really, I know, I feel like I know a good amount of stuff about you. Yeah. But... You, you probably know like a good gist, but it is crazy to think that we only met like this year. We've yeah. known each other for less than a year. Yeah. That We're is, super tight. That's really weird to think about. I know. Um, when did you find out about your father's cancer? So that was... Uh, my, was that freshman or sophomore year? Jesus. Like they basically got back together and then a year or two after that, that's when you found out. Yeah. So it was right around the time. So I'll, I'll do soccer first just because it kind of ties into that. Yeah. So basically I was a soccer player for most of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I love soccer, but I was also just like an annoying kid. Like it's one of those things where like you hate to go to practice, but you love to play the game. And yeah, I would, I would complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. I would complain about it all the time, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, over the years I got a few concussions and at first it was just kind of like, all right, this is soccer. Like you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Obviously I got hurt a ton, broken like several fingers, had a lot of just injuries. Um, and that's play goalie. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. So taking the most shots, probably. Yeah. You're getting beat up. And I was aggressive too. Yeah. Like it's, it's in my normal personality. It's also in my athletic personality. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so, you know, I was like anything to stop the ball from getting in the net. So if that means throwing my body down at someone's feet while they're trying to kick, then that's what's going to happen. So got a, got a few concussions there and it was just every, with every additional concussion, it was like, oh shit, this is getting getting more and more serious exactly so um i think it was by like concussion three i decided to stop playing club soccer and that was at the end of eighth grade um and it was just that decision where it was like i was because i was playing like six to seven days a week Mm -hmm. it's like your whole life when you're playing a sport like that um and but then I decided to go back into school soccer freshman year I was like I'm gonna just go out for the high school team whatever and it was great I was like MVP goalie of the league whatever nice. I played through the final game like I'd broken my finger my dad gave me injections so it would just go numb and I played through the game and that's awesome we won like one of those just like heroic moments where yeah. I was like hell yeah like you can still see this finger is entirely yeah, fucked up and never went back to normal <laughs> yeah so um it was it was great you know, but I got another concussion in that season and then another concussion afterwards when I was playing field hockey because I switched to field hockey because mm-hmm. goalies had a helmet in field hockey. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard to leave soccer, though. It was so, so hard because it's like that was a huge part of my identity. Um, and just having to leave that was awful. But I was like, at least I have field hockey. More concussions in field hockey. Had to stop playing that. Um and just giving up that part of my life and like just that identity of like being an athlete yeah. was so hard because it was like, well, who the fuck am I if I'm not an athlete? Yeah, like that was a, who you are. exactly like in, you know, eighth grade, whatever awards I won scholar athlete award. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's how I thought of myself yeah. entirely was like scholar and athlete. And yeah. suddenly one of those was ripped away. And then soon, I didn't know at the time, but soon the other one would be ripped away too. And so it was just like everything that I thought was me and, you know, who I was was kind of just falling apart. Um, and so I, I've i now in total racked up seven concussions. And when did the – so the migraines were part of the concussions. Yeah. So they probably started around concussion four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it has to be my sophomore year. It's beginning of my sophomore year. And, um, I, you know, each concussion got pretty much progressively worse. And there would be times where, um, you know, if you've ever, ever had a concussion, there's different levels of severity, but, 
um, that, you know, some of my concussions were so bad to the point where, you know, my mom says, she calls it drunk Casey, where I was basically in a childlike state for 12 days. Really? So like not speaking complete sentences, can't formulate thoughts, anything. So it was really scary for them because it was like, is she ever going to go back to normal? Like, is she ever going to be okay? Um, and really scary for me to even like reflect on because it's just, I can't imagine, you know, being in that state permanently. Do you still remember everything that was going on when it was happening? A little bit. Like I, most of the actual concussions themselves, I don't remember. Um, I, I know what happened in them because people have described them to me. And some of them are just such like fluke accidents. Like one, I like dove into the pole because we were doing like a game where there were two goalies in the goal. Um, so I like wasn't really aware of my spacing and we were doing like PKs, whatever. Um, and then another one, I... Penalty kicks. Yeah, PKs. Way. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you for my translation. <laughs> yep. um, another one was just a fluke accident. It was like the high school futsal tournament, which is like um, soccer indoor mm. in a gym or on pavement. And so the ball is heavier. Um, so it's like stays on the ground better. And uh, the kicker of the football team accidentally like shanked a ball when I was walking out of the gym and it hit me in the back of the head. And then I went face first into a pole. Oh my So gosh. like things like that, where it was like, sometimes it was just luck. One yeah. time it was literally a Tesla door closing on my head. Wow. Like is, if that isn't the most like bougie Los yeah, Gatos thing you've ever sure. heard in your life, yeah. like, um, oh, how'd you get your concussion? Oh, you know, a yeah, Tesla. Tesla. <laughs> uh, but it, just things like that. And, um, it was, it's scary. Like I remember bits and pieces here and there. I remember like sitting in a reality check meeting, just like with a coloring book, mm-hmm. just like coloring. And I watched all the seasons of game of Thrones over again because I had just watched them prior to my concussion. So I didn't remember any of them. What? So it was like, like just things like that where you don't really, you know, just appreciate like your brain and what it does for you until you lose functional functionality of it. And I definitely process things a lot slower now. And I'm aware that, uh, sometimes like it just takes longer for my thoughts to get out into words and, um, even like testing and stuff. Like when I was a kid, I was always that annoying ass kid. It was like, I'm going to finish the test first. Yep. Um, I can totally see that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then post-concussions, I was like, I have to read each problem like four times to understand what's mm-hmm. happening. Like the knowledge is in there, but I just like can't get it out and like process it. So um, just kind of like seeing that is really hard when you, you're used to performing at a certain, you know, level. And then suddenly it's like, there's just way this thing in the way. The yeah. You've done your entire life. Exactly. And you're just like, there's nothing you can really do to change it. So it's just like learning to kind of deal with that you know disability at that point so do you think um, that's what caused um it definitely caused it at some point but um how much do you blame like mental issues on migraines and stuff like that yeah that's a good question because honestly i think it's it's definitely a combination of the two Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was it was sophomore year it was either one it was either a day in october or november and I woke up and I had a migraine. And I never really had migraines before. One of my best friends always had headaches when we were younger. And I was always like, wow, I'm lucky. I never have headaches. Mm-hmm. Little did I know it was coming. But you, it was going to be the worst. <laughs> yeah. But so I woke up with a migraine and I was like, what the fuck is this? This feels awful. And I just had a really bad headache. And prior to that, in um, like eighth grade, around that time, I'd already had like three concussions at that point. I would get sick like once every month. Like every month I'd have like two or three days where I just like was sick to my stomach and like couldn't go to school. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where you start having some symptoms like that and all the different doctors are trying to figure out what it is from their personal area of expertise. Right. Mm -hmm. So first we went to the gynecologist to see if it was cycle related and they put me on birth control and it was, that didn't change anything. So then it was, you know, go to the GI doctor and see if it's, um, you know, some kind of digestion issue or something like that. 
try all these different things. No, that's not it. Okay. Now we go to the cardiologist and see if that has something to do with why I'm feeling this way. So it was like doctor after doctor after doctor, each kind of giving their hypothesis as to what it was, but nothing was working. Um, did did you ever find out why you were getting sick every, not really. They think it was abdominal migraines. So it's basically just another kind of like symptom of migraine. And so when I was a sophomore, that was when I woke up that one morning with a headache and it never went away. And, um, it didn't go away for two and a half years. So basically, wait, yeah, like, like one continuous one. So I, the way I describe it is, um, it's like, it's a full blown migraine. So for most of the time, just intense pain in my head. Um, and then nausea was my other really bad symptom. So I would wake up a lot of nights and a lot of mornings and be throwing up and, um, I couldn't sleep because of the pain and I would, yeah, I would wake up in the middle of the night and throw up and, um, but every day the pain was there, but it was just at a different number. So I would always describe my pain from a scale of one to 10. And for probably that, those first two years, I was almost constantly between a a six and a 10. So I would say I was probably cruising at like an eight most of the time. So it was, it was like intense and completely debilitating pain. And even, even when it stays that way and you almost get used to it, it screws with your mentality so much. Completely. That's how my grandma is literally like, she has a issue similar to that. And like, she can be fine, but because it's just so painful the entire time, it causes like her to be super depressed. And then that's the main problem. Yeah. The actual issue isn't a problem anymore. More so the mental issues. Right. Are what take the toll. Exactly. So it was like, you know, not only was the pain completely debilitating. Like I, at this point, I was slowly having to drop classes. You know, there goes one class. There goes another class. There goes another one. And it was just kind of slipping out of my grasp. And, you know, suddenly I can't really hang out with people. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can really do. And you know, as that got worse and worse, my mental health just went fucking down the toilet because it was like, well, I can't see anyone anymore. I'm not an athlete anymore. I'm hardly even a student anymore because I'm barely even in school because I can't do anything anymore. So what what am I? You know, like what kind of life is this? And I was yeah. just honestly, most of my memories of those like two and a half years are are pretty foggy just in yeah. general because this is sophomore yeah this is like sophomore through pretty much senior year round one <laughs> okay see i forgot about that too because i was like yeah. wait, you said two and a half years i know the timing's weird yeah okay. i have to calculate it back in my head like that too but um so a lot of the memories are really foggy because it was like just the days blurred together because it was just me in my room and my mom would just she was the, literally the best I could ever ask for. She was like my caretaker completely. Yeah. Um, she would bring me trays of food in the morning when I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and most of my time I spent in my bed, honestly. Yeah. So uh, it was, it's crazy. It's like I kind of describe that time as um, like what quarantine felt like for everyone, especially in the beginning except you're the only one quarantined yeah everyone else everyone else is doing all the yeah. things they were still doing everyone yeah. else is doing everything they want and then on top of that like you're in a lot of pain yeah wow so um do people know that or does the pot like people listening to the podcast know that you are you've gone to high school for five years i think i've kind of mentioned it a few times but i think a lot of people probably don't know why yeah. um okay so that's yeah and it, it's funny too because that was that was a big insecurity of mine for a while because I would, Even though if someone actually knew, like, why, they wouldn't... Ever yeah, they would... Un- right, but there understand. was always that part of me, too, that was... I always wanted to prove that I was smart, and I always wanted people to think of me as smart. Like, that was a huge label for me, was I was like, oh, Casey's smart, you know? Yeah. That was something I took a lot of pride in because I didn't sure. feel like I had a lot of other things to offer. Um, and so... For people who don't know, Casey gets, like... Is actually ridiculous how smart Casey is. Like every single every single time I've had a class with her and we take any type of test, I go, "Oh, Casey, how'd you do?" She goes, "Oh, I didn't do well at all." 
So I'm like, oh, wow, maybe she actually got a score similar to mine. It's only because you asked me first, though. I've learned I was such a dick when I was younger because I didn't really realize how, like, I, I just was not very aware of other people's feelings because they would be like, um, I would be like, oh, I did so bad. And they'd be like, what'd you get? And I was like, oh, 95. Yeah. And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, you bitch. Like, that's so, but for me in my head, I was like, I'm disappointed because I know I could have done better. Yeah. I think, and I don't, I don't think people take it as a bad thing necessarily. They just think it's funny. Like, I just, even me oh. and, you know, your neighbor next door would uh. always ask you what you get on your <laughs> test. And we're like, and you go, oh, I didn't do good. I'm like, oh, okay, now that makes me feel better. But then when you don't do good and you get like a 92, and then we're, we're getting like 60s on the test. Like, what? Uh, no, it is, it is funny to think about now, but it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to me because just now I'm just so appreciative to even just go to school and just yeah. take classes in general. And like, but being smart to me was such a big such a big deal that I was so insecure about people like because what do you think when you hear someone did an extra year of high school you think they got held back exactly and you think that they're not as smart you know is everyone know if anyone knows you or like the only thoughts to you that should be relevant are to the people that actually know you yeah and everyone knows that you're really smart so that shouldn't have even been like that shouldn't have been a problem because the only people that maybe thought it was because you got held back because you're not smart are the ones that don't know you at all yeah no it's true and it was it was definitely a time when I was more concerned about like my perception yeah. from other people. But, but honestly, after going through those years and things I went through, it was just like, fuck it. I don't care what yeah. they think. And yeah, but it, it was just, it was misery, honestly. And it was a perfect, the perfect conditions to, you know, breed depression. And, yeah. um, and I definitely had already struggled with depression before I did, mm-hmm. hadn't been like, formally diagnosed but i was already seeing a therapist since middle school and i'd i was definitely depressed from like third grade but i didn't know what it was or what i was feeling and for me a lot of times it came out as anger like i was definitely an angry child so how many you took a fifth year because you need the more you need more credits Mm because you drop classes so how often would you miss school between your sophomore year and even your second senior year yeah um Sophomore year, I basically cut it down to I was taking three classes at the school. At the school, and, and then I took. Um, I was just honestly grasping so hard to stay a student, and like I'm, like looking back on it now, I'm so proud of myself, and like I have no idea how I like fought through that, but I like, I took uh two classes at Fusion, and mm. then I took classes online, and then I took classes wow. at De Anza, and then West Valley, and. I was just fighting to get, you know, an education however I could. Yeah. Um, but it was it had to be scattered like that. So everything was super spread out. So it was like I'd, if I did three in the fall, then I'd do maybe three in the spring. And then I'd try to do get another class in over the summer and whatever I could do, really. But um, when I was, uh, like, trying to go to school full time, I probably only... Like my junior year, I took two classes at the high school. I took really? AP, I took AP US history and I took one of the hardest classes you can take <laughs> at high school. Wasn't. And I took uh, AP Lang and composition. Or no, AP US isn't. But I always get the AP feeling US that isn't bad. A, yeah, AP US isn't bad at all. I took that class; it was awesome. But a lot of people say the AP Euro is one of the hardest classes. Oh, I that was the first class I dropped. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's because, always the one. I hear yeah, because so that was me sophomore year, and I was like, I can barely go to school in the morning how am I going to get points in AP year <laughs> like, yeah honestly so I only took two classes my junior year and I probably was only there maybe generously 60% of the time really yeah and sometimes I would come to school I would come to class with an ice pack on my head I have these like little wraps we, I call them head ices yeah um and I would just come to school with one of those on my head in my slippers and I would just put my head down in the back of the classroom if I had to and um, my teachers were really helpful and, you know, my APUS history class, I, uh, they set up a little iPad for me so I could Skype into the class from oh, my bed awesome. and one of my friends would like operate it and I would, you know, write down any questions I had to him and he would ask them for me and like just trying to make shit work. Yeah. But it was just so, so hard. And I just, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't stay in touch really with like any of my friends. Yeah. Um, and those were like the years that they were living it up and i just really wasn't a part of that 
Yeah, I mean, do you think that's... Because we all know that you aren't the greatest responder. Well, that is an absolute fact right there. <laughs> so is this because of what's happened and how you were kind of like pushed away from all your friends? So you just naturally started not like want to reach out to everyone? I think that's definitely a part of it. I think I've definitely always been a bad responder too. I just yeah. don't... It's definitely I don't, family trait. Family trait. <laughs> yeah. You're all page too. Yeah. I don't like being on my phone a lot. I just yeah. don't enjoy it. And then, and that was actually a huge part of it too, though, was the FOMO from, you know, being at home all the time and yeah. then seeing people Snapchat stories of crazy. Right. But, yeah, so I'm then it's like, imagine person. that for two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> of I can't even imagine all your friends living up their, you know, living their lives. They're having their high school experiences. And then you're just at home in bed, you know? And, and that was the thing too, is I really couldn't, um, I couldn't watch a lot of TV. I couldn't really do screens. Because it would... Because uh, it would mess... Yeah, it would hurt my head. Yeah. yeah, so I would... Um, that's how I got into podcasting, really, was because that was, like, the uh, medium that was worked the best for me. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, the glasses? I don't. But really? I just... Yeah, I... Because I, I wear contacts and stuff. Oh, okay. Otherwise, and I have... I would... Especially during this time, I would just wear my regular glasses all the time. So yeah. then it was like I wasn't... But I actually think my normal glasses do blue light filter. But, oh, Okay. But yeah, like it just, um, it was brutal. There really wasn't anything I could do to entertain myself. That was why I started crocheting too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I can make little things, but yeah. Even like, I don't know if you saw this. Have you seen this thing? Oh, your little case? Or the thing the on it? thing on my case. What does it say? It's called Smart Dot. This what is, is like it? a total ad now. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really believe in this, but since no one can see this who's listening to it, it's basically like a sticker that you put on your phone mm-hmm. and supposedly... It's supposed to block out like the rays that you're getting from it being like a wireless like device, um, and the person who makes it preaches that they had migraines like almost every day or every week, and when they put this on their phone and all the uh, their other devices in the house, and it went away instantly. Interesting. Um, so I don't believe it because no one's been able to explain it like scientifically yeah um, but you might as well have it i guess my mom is like she saw it, she's like oh my gosh everyone has to have this, on, have this thing on their phone and it's like, so funny okay. no but but like honestly though so many people it was so it was so hard too because people want to help everyone wants yes, to help for sure but the thing is too is that everyone's throwing all their suggestions at yeah, you it can be hard and it, it's always like Oh, my friend Cheryl's cousin's younger yes. brother, her best friend had <laughs> migraines and this is what worked for them. And you're like, that's great. But like, it's so much information to process. Like, do you yeah. know, I had so many people tell me I should get a breast reduction and that was going to save, that was going to fix it. Really? And I was just like, dude, I can't like, can we just not yeah, do we, yeah. ha- I don't need to hear everyone's different thing. And I tried so many different things. Yeah. I did, uh, I did a week in the hospital at UCSF doing this, like, drug infusion treatment. I did mm. um, acupuncture. I did hypnosis. I, mm. I've i been on probably over 20 different drugs. Yeah. Um, have you um, – I don't even know why I haven't told you this yet, but because you said that was, like, yeah. a lot to handle, everyone going, oh, you know, my cousin, yeah. best friend, blah, blah, blah. So my neighbor actually created, like, a site basically for that worry of yours. It's called We Heal. And oh, it's basically damn. a community, like, it's a community-based uh, website, nonprofit for every type of, like, disorder or something you can have. So it goes from, like, actual cancer things down to simple, like, not even simple, but, like, anxiety, depression, yeah. all that kind of stuff, migraines, all of it. So you go to your page, and it's, com- like, a community page based on, like, everyone who's had them before. So they just give you a list of what's worked oh. for them. So rather than everyone tell you, you can yeah. just look. And yeah that's that dope yeah and like and exactly like something like that is so cool and i i remember too one of the hard parts in the be honestly i was gonna say in the beginning but it was probably like the first year and a half was just getting a solid diagnosis yeah because you know for a while they thought i had pots which is like postural uh orthostatic tachycardia syndrome so it's basically not even gonna ask yeah it's yeah. like you stand up and your circulation is really bad really? so all the blood pools in your legs and feet and you can faint and wow get a headache, whatever. So I was on medication for that for a while. And the medication that they put me on was like a water retaining medication. So I ballooned too. Like you just, you hold on to so much water weight. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I got Botox. I did uh, hyper. Really? Yeah, I got Botox. It's gone now. Don't look at my wrinkly ass forehead, but it's. I got it. Uh, I would have never two years known ago. either you needed it or you even had it. I yeah. would never even like. Because it's a supposed migraine treatment. I got. I went to Huntington Beach. I got Botox. I did hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I did. Sure, who gave you uh, Botox? My dad's doctor friend. Because my dad is doctor, and you know mm. he's got the hookup, which which honestly was so. I was so lucky to have that. My yeah. dad was a doctor because he had so many medical yeah. connections. And it was like, you know, I would have been on the wait list at these places for months and yeah. months and months. And so many people are not as lucky as I was to be treated as quickly as I was. And and even that for me took years. Funny thing is the only like Botox person I know is in Laguna Beach. Really? Yes. Yeah, so like, <laughs> You're like, why. is it the same one? <laughs> no, that's so funny though. But it, it just like was just so, I just was so exhausted yeah. of doctors and having to just go through that process of not knowing what was going to work and honestly not thinking anything was ever going to work. Yeah. Did, uh, how did like therapy help all that stuff? And have you stayed with the same therapist? Yeah. So I had one different therapist in middle school, but then I stopped seeing her for a bit. And then, um, I started seeing my current therapist, I want to say sophomore year too. So it was a lot about, um, just kind of like dealing with your circumstances and like, how to be not be okay with where you're at but how to um accept where you're at and be kind to yourself because that's something i've never been good at yeah you know i think a lot of people they say you know you're your own harshest critic but i've always just been the biggest dick to myself yeah for sure um and so it was just kind of like even when i was in so much pain i'd be like you fucking idiot get your do your school work which is the worst thing that you worse right it's only exacerbating the issues and um so it was a lot about that. And it was a lot too, though, about, you know, like your mental wellness is so, so, you know, interconnected with your physical well-being. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when I was more depressed, I, my head hurt more. Yeah. I felt shittier, That's like physically sure. in my body. And um, nothing's going to hurt it more than staying inside also doing nothing. Exactly. Right. So you're just like the conditions were honestly like you put if you wanted to like grow depression in a petri dish that's yeah, what you would have done for sure so um but but therapy for me has really truly been a lifesaver and been such a big part of me coming to kind of like accept what was happening to me and how i was feeling and and i was definitely kind of a you know i wasn't the most fun person to be around during yeah. that time too cuz you know, think about like when you're in pain or when you're super nauseated or you're feeling shitty. You're not exactly like, how's everybody doing today? Yeah, you're like, sure. don't fucking talk to me right yes. now. Right. And my whole family had to deal with that. And not only that, but, you know, it was right around when my health started getting really bad mm-hmm. sophomore year. That was when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. So kind of was just a crock pot of like the worst. Exactly. Exactly. So we were like, we were on a family vacation. God, why is vacation always tied into this? <laughs> Whatever. But we were on a family vacation and again parents like sat us down and um my dad was like so i went to the lab and of course i had just taken like freshman year bio maybe this was end of freshman year god i cannot remember yeah well Well, concussions will do that for you too (laughs) that's funny that we're talking about how much you remember memory yep so uh i i know it was sometime around the time that i took bio which was freshman year so um because my dad was like i have uh a mass of cells he just kept saying a mass of cells and i was like so you have cancer because we had just done that basically um and he wouldn't say cancer Mm, and i remember that i remember being so like angry just being like Mm -hmm. fucking say it's cancer like don't tiptoe around us um and it was the same thing both my siblings started crying and i was just like stone-faced because I just did not what kind know of, how to process okay. prostate cancer. Oh, so okay. wow. Um, later that year, he had his first surgery hmm. where he had his prostate removed. And then um, he a few months later, he had his second surgery because it had spread to some lymph nodes. Really? And then um, he did radiation yeah. for eight months, something like that. Wow. And then... Um, yeah, was on other medication that just made him drowsy all the time, mm-hmm. just achy, breaky, like just feeling like shit all the time. So, how um, did you retain hope in that situation? Yeah, 
it was tough. I mean, um, I'm not proud to admit it, but I, I almost just tried not to think about it. Yeah. Because it just felt like it was all t- just too much to handle all at mm-hmm. one time. And so I was focusing much more on myself and, you know, trying not to be in pain and trying to feel okay for me. And um, I I don't know. It just was, like, so scary to th- to sit with those thoughts and be like, oh, my dad might die. Yeah, that's crazy. So it was just... I don't just, even know how you can comprehend anything yeah. like that. And honestly, I didn't for a long time. Yeah. Like, I really just pushed it away and, like, tried not to think about it, which is, you know, not a healthy coping mechanism mm-hmm. at all. But... Um, Literally with the therapy that you said is like taught you. Yeah. Not to do. Exactly. So, and it took a lot of that to be able to process that. And, and at the same time too, um, it was kind of right when I was diving back into my childhood and sort of reassessing things. And Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of built up like resentment towards my dad. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm processing that and kind of coming to terms with, you know, how I feel about my dad, what I want our relationship to look like going forward. I'm also, you know, I'm mad at him in a lot of ways, but then I'm like, he might die. Yeah. So how do I like reconcile those two feelings? And, um, because you know, if that did actually happen, you, I would never be able to live with myself. The guilt would, you know, be insane. So Mm -hmm. it was just a really tough time in general. And, um, I just, I didn't know how to process things. But at the same time, I was still holding myself to just like a ridiculous standard and still trying to be perfect. Yeah. When did you get that? Uh, when was the first like glimmer of hope that? You for him or for me? For him. Um, You're for later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, again, I'm going to fuck up the timeline. Expect it. But after his second surgery... It was like, okay, I think we're looking pretty good. But then, you know, he had to do radiation again. And so then it was like, oh, the hope kind of dissipated. Yeah. And then um, it was only really until like a year and a half ago probably that it was like, oh, it seems like we're we're chilling. But that's the scary thing with cancer too. It can always come back. It can always come back. And so there's always – it's like – I, my dad and I are both very superstitious about just like dumb shit like that. So it was mm-hmm. like, I never wanted to jinx it. Yeah. Everything is knock on wood. Everything mm-hmm. is be careful. So it was like, I almost didn't want to see the hope yeah, because if I sure. did, I was like, then it, that's when it's going to come crashing down. Yeah, for sure. So I just kind of, I didn't even like want to think of the hope. It's which is so, it's like, you're in just such a bind, you know, it's, there's no good way. You don't want to focus on how miserable it is and you don't want to think about it. But you also, like, don't want to get caught up in it being too good because then that's when it gets bad. Like, yeah, I think everyone can kind of, like, relate to that. Where for sure. you don't even know if you want to be happy about some stuff until yeah. you know for a fact that it, your dream is going to come true or yeah. you're going to get that positive thing back in your life. Exactly. So it's been a year and a half since you've... It's kind of been yeah. a steady wave of being like, okay, I think he's, yeah. he's in the right place. And he gets his... Um, his PSA done every PSA, month or other month. It's, I, God, I'm going to botch this. But I think to my understanding, it's um, basically a measure of like how much the cancer is spreading or, or yeah, it's, it's just, you want it to be really, really low. So I is just it know still that. in his body though, technically? <laughs> yes, but it's like 0.1%. Oh. Which is like where it, like it's, if you don't want it to be like more than like point or something oh my god i'm so anyone who has any kind of medical background is gonna be like you fucking idiot but what is she talking about? um literally no. but but i know that it's really low yeah. and that my dad was really happy about it but it's yeah. like he has to get tested like every two months and he gets very anxious around that time because it's you it know you don't want that so number to go more. up yeah yeah exactly so can be so scared about a single number completely um so with all this kind of as i said before the crock pot of oh yeah shit yeah, um, it's a nice shit stew. Yeah. When was <laughs> your breaking point where mm. you had almost just like lost it? So throughout this time, I feel like I've left out a key character in, the, in this story. So, you know, my friends obviously were a huge kind yeah. of 
part of my life, but it was also really hard to have to like Is this unintentionally the, distance from them. Am I allowed to say the C's? Oh, yeah, I yeah. think that's fine. So, uh, is that the friends you're referring to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, I, out of our quote-unquote group of six friends, five of our names start with C's. Yeah. And then we got an M. Then you got the um, <laughs> But, uh, so, people would call us the C's sometimes, which makes us sound so clicky, but I swear yeah. we're not bitches. But, <laughs> yeah. um, so, they... I was super close with them all through middle school. Most of them I've known since like kindergarten. Mm. So we've been really close friends for a really long time. Um, but obviously I, I was kind of forced to distance from them. And that was really hard. I felt like, you know, they're high schoolers. They're trying to live their lives and they don't know exactly how to be there for me and how to support me in the ways that I needed. And yeah. I wouldn't have known what to do either. You know, especially it's me. Like I'm, they're texting me. They're like, so should we come over? Da, da, da. And I don't respond or I don't whatever. And then it just kind of fades away. And um, so that was hard. I definitely didn't feel like I was as close with them during that time as I would have liked to be. Uh, but that was partially my own doing. But basically, um, the biggest person in my life through all this time was my boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had gotten together freshman year. Um, and then we broke up for like a summer and then we were back together. So overall we were together for like two and a half years. So this is from your freshman year until your junior. Yeah. It was or freshman year until, um, January of senior year, part one. (laughs) Round one, part one. Round one, part one. You, you feel me. Yeah. But, um, so he was huge for me because mm-hmm. he was just basically like my lifeline. He yeah. was, he would come visit me almost every day or I would go and be with his family because his mom had migraines too. And so oh, wow. we like bonded a lot over that. I was yeah. super, super close with his family. In fact, his parents just came to my, like they came to the little like graduation parade Aww. we did in the manor and they like made me a little sign. It was really cute. That's awesome. Um, but but he was just like the biggest he was like my world at the time you know because i didn't really have anyone else and i didn't have anything else like i didn't have school going for me i didn't have sports i didn't have social activities i didn't have extracurriculars it was just him yeah so you know he was the sun and i was just like orbiting around him but you know to him i i i didn't have that role you know He, he he loved me and i i know that but um, you I did. wasn't of the same significance in his life as yeah, he was in sure. mine, you know? So. Uh, you relied on him and he kind of just was being the nice boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but he was, he was a big part of my life at the time and pretty much what I felt like all I had. Mm-hmm. Because at this point too, I'm, I'm like, am I going to go to college? Probably not. Can't get shit done in my classes. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel to see me getting better. So if I can't do high school classes right now, how would I ever be able to do college classes? Yeah, your family's also focused on other big things going on too. Exactly. There's just so much happening and really didn't seem like there was any light at the end of the tunnel that it was like, um, you know, what what future do I have? Yeah. I couldn't envision myself doing anything. And, uh, my depression just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled again and again and again. And, um, he was really big at just like helping me with that and just kind of being there for me and supporting me. And, um, but it was, it was really bad. Like my depression too, on top of things was just awful. I just, um, I, you know, not only had the outside circumstances sucked, but just inside, I just felt like shit all the time. I hated myself. Yeah. I did not like who I was. I didn't think I had anything going for me. I felt like a burden to everyone around me. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing. I always felt like a burden. And um, I had a lot of like shame. Like everything I did, I was ashamed of. I was ashamed of what I'd been through, ashamed of, you know... Um, my skin picking, which I'll, I can talk about after too, but mm. um, my weight, my body, yeah. everything. I I didn't see any point in living or doing anything anymore. Yeah. There was no 
joy. It was all misery. So mm-hmm. what what the fuck was the point yeah. in my head, right? And so I would get to these kind of ledges and he would sort of talk me off of them. Yeah. And I relied way too heavily on him for that. But at the time, for me, it felt like that was all I could do, mm-hmm. you know? So um, one night, it was it was so bad. I was actively suicidal for probably mm-hmm. a, a few weeks. Do you know how many times you've like, is there a number in your head of how many times you actually deeply considered it? Like, Probably like five times. Probably five um, and two of them were the most serious ones that ended me in different situations. But, um, so the first time was my, uh, senior year round one. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, October. It was right after Coro. It was a week after Coro. And, um, I would always muster up the energy to go to the dances yeah. because in my head I was like, these are the memories that I need to have. And, um, you know, he would, it was a lot of loud music. It was pretty brutal for me. And he would just go and sit outside with me when the dance got too much. And yeah. um, I had to do it in a very kind of toned down sort of way. I didn't for drink sure. or do anything either until my senior year. Um, uh, until what senior year? Round one. Okay. Towards the end of it. Um, okay. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything because yeah. just, I was in so much pain and like felt so shitty already that mixing anything into that would have just been a, a nightmare. So yeah, definitely, um, it's probably good that you actually didn't yeah. get to that because it yeah. could have gone even worse. Exactly. With things like that, that make you feel better, but aren't actually making you better. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but it was hard always being the sober one at the parties and I would always take care of people and yeah, that's um, the worst. It's so bad. I've been thrown Gosh. up on four times oh and like, I just, I would just take care of people and like, just try to keep the house clean and whatever. And, um, yeah, so it was like a week after Coro and it just, I think it just really hit me that like everyone else's life trajectory looked so insanely different from mine at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just felt like absolute shit and I didn't want to live and I didn't see the point. Um, and I really did feel like I was a burden on everyone around me. Like I can't emphasize that enough to the point where, um, you know, and I can't speak for everyone who's ever been suicidal or who's dealt with that, but I I genuinely believe that I would be doing the people around me a favor if I killed myself. Yeah. Wow. And that I would be making it easier on them. Like, it would suck for them for a little bit, but they would get over it and it would make their lives less stressful and less whatever. And you probably had no idea how much of, like, an importance you had on your friends' lives right. and your family. Right. Not at know. all. Yeah. Not at all. In my head, I was like, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm pathetic. I'm a dark cloud. And I don't add anything to anyone. In fact, I take away from them. Yeah. So I, it would help everyone if I eliminated myself from this equation. When and in reality, it would obviously bring people a bunch of sadness, but it would yeah. probably bring them anger too to think that you're not realizing like how much you matter to them. And that's the thing too that always kind of irks me when people are like, I understand where they're coming from, when but when they talk selfish. about it, suicide is selfish. Yeah. Because... Um, you can't tell someone else when they're in that much pain that they're being selfish. Yeah. Because y- yes, you're selfish if you want to eliminate your own pain, but I don't I don't understand how you could consider that selfish. I know it's I know the whole thing obviously. It's super hard. It's super but it's just it's always been hard for me to understand when people say that because you know, Unless you've been there and you know what that pain feels like, you just want to end the suffering. You just don't yeah. want to be in that much pain. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That That's just always, like, irked me a little bit when people say that. Because yeah. I don't think that's ever what anyone is thinking, really. But I think just to play, like, devil's advocate yeah. in the case, it just makes, like, even I've had family members who have been, like, suicidal before. And it brings me, like, anger to think that, I was never going through like their head when mm. it happened because in my opinion if they did think of me they'd been like oh there's no chance yeah I know I'm gonna bring that person so much sadness but they don't know that so you can't call mm-hmm. them selfish because I mean obviously there are points that can be made but I don't think you can call them that because they don't they don't understand what you're thinking yeah they don't understand that you'll be sad it's just like the insecurities of a bunch of people today they don't actually understand yeah. how 
how positive they are to the people, how much yeah, they matter. Completely. When you're in that dark of a place, your thinking is so distorted. So it's not rational at all. Yeah. And it's not um you're you're just really not thinking of those things and you're not seeing things as they are. You're seeing them through your depression lenses and yeah. it's completely fucking up your perception of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I it was like really late at night and um my he's he yeah, he's my ex-boyfriend. I said boyfriend at the time yeah, just to make ex-boyfriend. that clear. Um but so he was with me really late at night and um he was like about to go basically he was about to leave cuz he'd kind of been like talking to me through the night and he knew that I was like really not doing well at all and um i he was i remember him saying something like you know if i leave like can you promise to like keep yourself safe and you know i wanted to be like yeah of course don't worry just leave but i i was i was like no i can't yeah. I, I can't promise you that. Um, he, but it, what, what happened that night? Did he stay? So he what he refused to leave until yeah. I talked to my parents. Okay. So he like walked me over to my parents' bedroom, and it's like probably one at this point. And mm-hmm. my parents were also very lenient in terms of like if people are like, "Why is he there at one in the morning?" Da-da-da. Like my parents were very lenient too because they were like this girl's been through so much like it's yeah. okay for boyfriends over late at night for sure um so uh he walked me over to my parents and basically like stood there while i told them like i am suicidal and i don't think i can keep myself safe and that was like the hardest thing i've ever had to do yeah was to- our breakdown in that like I I don't even remember if I started crying or what I started doing. Um, it's all pretty foggy, honestly. Yeah. But um, basically, and and I'm so grateful to him too that he made me do that, yeah. um, and that he wasn't just like, okay, gotta go, see you tomorrow, whatever. You know, yeah, definitely he, a bond created that most people will never be able to understand. Right. Just right. Being like that. And um. My parents were flustered, obviously. They were kind of like, what the fuck? What What do we do? How do you react to that? What year is this? Um, senior year part one. So this is, okay, so this is two, fall of 2018. So basically, you were going through stuff, and then your dad mm-hmm. got cancer. And then right as he starts to get a little better, this happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, they my mom actually called one of her friends whose daughter had also been in a psychiatric facility recently Mm -hmm. she's been on the podcast shout out to her love her (laughs) um and she basically like gave my mom kind of the instructions on what she had done so i uh kind of quickly packed a bag little did i know that i wouldn't be able to use like anything i packed in the bag but um they drove me to this place called Uplift Family Services. Yep. And um, I had to do an intake interview. So this woman sat and talked with me for probably about two hours. And um, she was just like talking through, we were just talking about like why I was there, why I was feeling that way. Um, talking about my childhood, talking about my migraines, random shit. And then I remember too, she was like, have you ever been diagnosed with PTSD? And I was like, what no i've never heard that come up before um which that was just weird that's just a random thing but it just uh it made me think about things a little bit differently yeah but anyway so basically that place was like a it's like a waiting room at the dentist's office you're you're not there to get treatment you're there to wait for a psychiatric bed um to open up at some at a different facility so uh there were 12 of us kids there Mm-hmm. and i you still was know any of them no i didn't okay. like get contact from any i was yeah. the oldest one i was 17 at the time and uh they ranged from 8 to 17 so wow yeah wow. so That's it crazy. was mostly younger kids too and that was crazy too mm-hmm. because you're like how can you be so young and be in this state but um a lot of them too some of them were there because they were brought there by the police too, mm. if they were like violent with family members. Yeah. And 
Um, obviously some of them had been through a lot of trauma. So I remember I got there in the middle of the night. By the time I finished this intake interview, it was probably like three or four in the morning. So I didn't meet anyone and they just like walked me in. The nurse, this is like right off the bat, the system was just so fucked up. Yeah. The nurse took my weight. This is after, this is the night that your mom called this parent. Yeah. The night like where. Right then and there when, when I came her, in. When you told her I'm suicidal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was like all like a panicked little thing. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, this is like the first step of things being fucked up in the system. A nurse goes to take my weight and it's one of those uh, like sliding scales. Sliding, yeah. yeah. And she she's not operating the scale correctly. I'm like, yeah. we've used shit like this in science before. Yeah. Like, I know how to use this. And it's still tilted all the way to one side. And she's like, okay, great, 170 for my weight. And I'm not going to say my actual weight, but I'm yeah. at least 20 pounds lighter than that. Yeah. And so I was like, um, uh, excuse me, like, that's not... And she's like, okay, next room. But like, you're, it's just playing with you because you know that's annoying because you com- don't want to be viewed completely i'm like i don't want to be like this but also if you're going to give me medication doses based on the weight that you just took you're gonna screw me you're gonna fuck me like it's just it seems like such a little thing but it has like such a big impact yeah so it was just my first indication where i was like oh fuck this is off this is not being run accordingly we're starting to get to another thing yeah so i want to ask what where are we oh for time yeah 106 okay because we're halfway Okay. So do you think this is a good part to... I don't want the next one to only be 30 minutes. <laughs> that's fair. Because I think this is the, the second bulk. So that's, that's what I'm fair. saying now. Oh, yeah, guys. Buckle up. We still got a yeah. whole chunk left. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Have. We haven't even reached the climax of the yeah. story yet. So if you guys think that, you know, it's over. It's not. Haha. <laughs> it's honestly, I remember just being a kid, though. I said this in my senior statement, too. But I remember being a kid. This is how concerned I was about college. I was like what am I going to write for my college apps? I'm like in mm. fourth grade. I'm like nothing interesting's happened to me. Little Not did I fucking yeah. know what was wow. coming. Careful Older what you wish for. Down. Yeah, but all right, y'all. I guess we'll see you in the next one then. Yep.